I wasn't as confident in God's goodness because I had experienced difficulties and I had found his goodness in the middle of the difficulties. I was very confident in God's goodness because I had had a really charmed life. It's embarrassing almost to say that, but like my development uh, as a person and my, the development of my faith was uh, really quite stunted until I started to experience a, a degree of suffering. The Profile with Premier Christianity Magazine. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity Magazine. You've joined us for The Profile, where we sit down with a different Christian every single week and hear something of their story. My guest on the show today is Chris Llewellyn from Rend Collective. Chris has just released a brand new project. It's his first solo album, and it's called Honest. You're going to hear all the details behind this project. You're going to hear some sneak peeks of some of the music as well as we go. It's a really fantastic conversation, and I do hope you enjoy it. So before we speak to Chris, let's have a bit of a listen, shall we? This is an acoustic version of the title track, Honest. Oh, I'm taking a chance, come just as I am. Rolling the dice on the truth. Can I be honest? I've got to be honest. Lord, I believe you, but I'm going to need you to help my unbelief. Well, Chris from Ren Collective, it's wonderful to have you on the show. It's been a while since we caught up. How are you doing? I'm just doing fantastic, yeah. Living the dream. It's a, it's a nice, slightly cooler day in Nashville, so I, I can live with that. My, uh, my Irish skin can cope when it's overcast. Brilliant. Well, we're chatting today because you've got this fantastic album that I've been lucky to ha- to have a preview of called Honest Releasing. I'm really forward to getting into some of the detail around that album and some of the themes you're drawing out. But before we get there, here on the profile, we like to go right back to the beginning. You've already mentioned Ireland, which is, of course, where you're from. Tell me a little bit about life growing up and where Christian faith first came into the picture for you. Yeah, okay. So uh, I grew up in a little town called, well, it's not even a town. It's like, it's technically something smaller than a village, which is called a hamlet in Northern Ireland. So it's it, it's whatever the category is where uh, you don't have a shop, but you do have a phone box and that, that makes you a hamlet. <laughs> so I grew up in a little place called Lockeries in Northern Ireland. It's very idyllic, lots of rolling hills. Uh, my dad actually was a Christian musician from Australia. So he met my mom because uh, her family were hosting this like hairy bunch of like sixties Jesus Revolution kind of era musicians, and it, it all kind of sparked from there. So I grew up around faith and music, absolutely. Uh, and honestly, it, it didn't very much appeal to me. I, I really fought hard to not have to go to church. And by the time I got to high school, uh, my parents were absolutely. I think they made the right call and they didn't force the issue. They just asked me every Sunday and I would continually say no from underneath the covers. So that was sort of my story of of faith. I I was immersed in it for sure, but uh, not very interested. And uh, that maintained until I was about 17. And when I was 17, then a a kind of a disruptive moment happened in, in my life. Up until that point, I was really 
fixated on the idea of playing rugby, at least at university, um, and if not professionally, and was, was really trying to make moves into that. But I was injured, and so it, it kind of threw everything up in the air a little bit. Uh, you know, it was a pretty severe shoulder injury, and during that time, I guess, it, it had been a long time since I had taken time out of training and kind of assessed life, and just like, where am I going? What's happening? And so I opened up a Bible in my room, and uh, I just felt this amazing sense of, of what what I would now call God's presence, and what I would have then called this is weird <laughs> um uh, and uh yeah that that was really the moment where faith began for me so uh I immediately started going to a church where i saw a gentleman with no shoes on talking from the platform about this bible study called rand uh for people who were in their late teens and early 20s and were confused about life and faith and god and everything else uh and that was my introduction to gareth and that's how the band began it began as us working out in that bible study and so that took me to well it's taken me taking me all across the world now that, that bible study uh just leading leading worship with ran collective and that's been the last you're pretty much caught up that's about 15 years of that nearly 13. yeah absolutely as you say it's gone from a little bible study um to a worldwide phenomenon and yeah, that's led to you writing and performing some of the some of the biggest songs in the in the kind of Christian world, the worship world. Songs like "Build Your Kingdom Here" that have been kind of sung quite literally the world the world over. Or "My Lighthouse." I know you've told us stories in the past about even schools taking on that song and it kind of becoming a, an anthem in different parts of the world. How do you how do you kind of look at that as a songwriter? I mean, it must be wonderful, but also is it slightly slightly strange or surprising that some of these songs have just gone as far as they have it's definitely daunting the fact that you start to realize that songs have these lives and like intentions of their own <laughs> um, but w- when you're writing them you don't necessarily think like a song like my lighthouse we kind of scrambled that together i can say that now because it's that, that ship is sealed but uh we kind of scrambled it together in about half an hour it wasn't like every word was this super considered like if i had known that it was going to become part of curriculum for children's bible studies and stuff like that i think maybe we wouldn't have raced through it i think it's probably fine but it was just it's it was a fast process and not necessarily as seriously conducted as uh you might expect um it was just some people having having fun around this this idea um yeah, honestly, the scariest thing about being a songwriter who's had songs that have had that trajectory is actually the constant fear that that's the last time that's ever going to happen. You know, uh, the idea of having a catalogue of songs that have been successful, uh, I know this from talking to other friends who are in the same boat, it actually winds up being this kind of specter that, that hovers over you every time you sit down to write. So you're like, was that the last time that I, I, I wrote anything really good is that is that going to be it for me is, is my past more important than my future all that stuff is the that, that's the really hairy stuff yeah. and how often do you get a sense when writing yeah how how easy is it to predict i think this one's going to be the next hit oh i'm awful at it i am absolutely awful at it uh the number of quote-unquote hit songs i've written uh, that went nowhere and the number of ones that were like 
absolutely on the verge of not even being cut uh, that did really well. I, I get it wrong so often as for it to be a pretty successful predictor uh, of of a song's trajectory is to just go with the opposite of what Chris says about it. <laughs> so many of, of your songs have uh, played regularly here at Premier Christian Radio, and I know so many Christians around the world have so appreciated your music ministry. But the reason we're talking today is you're you're striking out on your own. Now I should I should we should uh, do away with any rumors from the outset, Chris. You're not leaving Ren Collective, are you? No, no. As soon as we end this call, I'll actually be working on whatever the next project's going to be for Ren. So it, it's all all alive and well. Yep, it's so additional. Is still is still carrying on, but nevertheless, you are releasing a solo album. So I guess the first question is just why? You know, why release music under your own name? Why not just plow it back into the band? It's actually a good question. It's one that uh, a lot of kind of roundtable discussions uh, were were made within the band, even. And I, I think the reality is that worship music needs to speak confidently and universally about things that we can all agree on on some level and things that we can all stand in a room and sing together like the primary my understanding anyway of the reason why we get together to sing is for that sense of unity it's for that sense of solidarity and what this does is it means that that those songs wind up taking a particular form like they they have to be a certain kind of an anthem even musically they have to be very um tied in and symmetrical you have to be able to predict the next line for it to be really successful in communal singing uh and more than that there's a big emphasis which is different to most art actually there's a big emphasis on is my song correct or incorrect and over time that winds up being quite a tight space to write within and i, I realize that almost even as a writing exercise and as a part of my own spiritual practice, I needed to write beyond that. And so I, I started to, in 2020, when the band had to take a hiatus along with the rest of the world, you know, I, I began writing this completely different kind of songs, almost just like as a journal of, of how I was feeling. It also coincided with my first real uh, introduction to depression and mental health struggles. And so a lot of those songs quite understandably when you're writing out of a place of pain or confusion doubt and depression a lot of those songs just aren't symmetrical and to look at them through the lens of correct or incorrect would be to miss uh, some of the real um what the value uh like really when we read the psalms i i just don't get the sense that the psalmists were as concerned with being theologically eyes dotted and t's crossed as they were with expressing themselves fully and honestly with god that's what i see and i think there's a place for it all i guess basically what i'm saying is i love the anthems i love the i love the times of like gathering together around something confident and hopeful but i think there's more to music than that and i just wanted to explore that sadly comes through on the new album it's called honest there's I was going to say a dice. That's not technically correct. It's dice, isn't it? Rather than a dice, because dice is not <laughs> of them. And when there's one, it's die. Yeah, there you go. Just cracked to myself there. So there's dice on the cover, and uh, what what does it? So the cover base is honest, and then dice. Why the dice? Yeah. So it actually winds up being a theme that I 
discovered in the writing of the songs after listening through to it, you know, I, I actually was kind of searching for a title for, for a while for all these songs. And I realized that a number of the songs talk about the idea of the risk of being honest and uh, this idea of not being entirely certain but the idea of faith and the life of faith and communicating with god having this element of i trust you but i have a 25 percent reservation in my mind that things might not work out the way that i hope they are (laughs) and that's how faith feels to me honestly it's it's a reaching out, not out of, not out of full confidence, like as though I'm wearing, you know, one of those safety harnesses that you wear at like Alton Towers or something. I, like I don't have that level of security. Um, it's more like putting your toe out over the edge of a, a of a building and thinking, is something going to catch me? At, that that's how faith feels to me. It always feels like, uh, in a sense, uh, like like a like a rolling of the dice. I think the dice are loaded, but uh. It still feels like a gamble every time for me. And is that, in your experience, a more difficult or even controversial thing to say in front of a large group of Christians? I mean, is that... I'm just thinking, like, you know, if you said that halfway through a worship set, would it ruffle some feathers? I I, I don't know, because I speak to some Christians who say that. They say, look, I'm not sure on everything. I'm not sure on all my doctrine. Sometimes I even doubt God's existence. But I do meet other Christians who I think would never dare say that and would say, I mean, I've had such a strong personal encounter with God. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt God is real. You know what I mean? There's, I meet different Christians who have different emphases on this. And I think for, for those who are so strong, like God is definitely real. I don't know. That maybe they're sometimes a bit offended to hear people say, oh, it's a bit like rolling a dice. I'm not always sure the whole time. Yeah, I'm fairly confident that people will, a certain group of people will find it offensive for sure. I think... And that's why that's why it needs to be said, in my opinion. It, it's almost like uh, the people who claim so much certainty and so much confidence, like uh, to me, what seems like an unrealistic amount of confidence in a God who defines himself in terms of mystery and is also invisible. Uh, it, it's hard to be that that hundred percent. Level, level of confidence and even then that rules out the idea of faith um i can't remember which author it is who uh who says that uh doubt isn't the opposite of faith but certainty is the opposite of faith i think it might be Anne Lamont. and i i kind of i resonate with that i don't think that's i don't think that's entirely true either uh, i think that's an overstatement but i i find that the people who are so confident wind up getting to control the conversation uh, and get to define what the faith space looks like and what good spirituality is supposed to be as though the quality of our believing in things is the um is the center of our faith rather than the quality of the person that we're believing in you know i, I feel like when jesus talked about mustard seed faith and those kind of ideas that what he was saying was it's not really about the it's not about your ability to have faith. It's about having some faith and how big and good I am. And I think if there's anything that I want to do in this album and by speaking and singing like this in, in this space of acknowledging some level of uncertainty, it's to 
start to open up the conversation and allow us to be honest and give a permission slip for other people to say, actually, I'm a person of faith, but yeah, I've got big questions. The opening track on Honest contains the lyrics, will you be faithful when I'm faithless? I'm a believer, but I'm going to need you to help my unbelief, which of course is you quoting direct from scripture, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And you say, will you love me if I'm honest with you? Is there room for who I am? All my doubt and questioning, they seem to think you can't handle it. And it is that perception, isn't it, that amongst some Christians, you're sort of saying the unsayable by talking about doubt. But I wanted to ask you, what what have been the the biggest doubts or wrestles for you? Has there been anything in particular that's that's been a struggle for you in, in recent times? Yeah, yeah, there has. Um, we've only got an R, so <laughs> best keep the highlights. Uh, I'd say two things. One of them was, I would say I understand God's goodness in ways that I never would have prior to my son's diagnosis. He has um, he's a fairly profound uh, ace of autism, and he he was diagnosed in 2020. And I think I think what that did for me was make me realize that I was not. I I wasn't as confident in God's goodness because I had experienced difficulties and I had found his goodness in the middle of the difficulties. I was very confident in God's goodness because I had had a really charmed life full of walking from success to success. Um, so that 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 it's embarrassing almost to say that, but like in many ways, my development. Uh, as a person, and my, the development of my faith was uh, really quite stunted until I started to experience uh, a, a degree of suffering. And I, I think that's where a lot of the doubts have come from. There's a song right at the end of the album, uh, which is called Can You Be Trusted? And that that's literally written the day before we went in to get a diagnosis from our doctor. And on that on my issue just right the night before and I think that 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 was the beginnings of of me opening up this form of a dialogue that I had never had with God which was are you even are you good I'm 60% convinced that you're good right now I couldn't give you a better I couldn't give you a better number than that and yet it's you that I'm singing to. It's you I'm bringing my prayers to. And this is a very confusing, uh, a very confusing idea. And I've worked through a lot of that now. I would say, in general, I have a much more sunny disposition than this album almost reflects because it's you know th- these are songs from the past. But I'd say the goodness of God is one. It's not for me usually things like did the virgin birth happen the way it said it did. That that, that stuff just I've never been an apologetics guy. I've, I've never been convinced. It, it just always made emotional sense to me, and that was fine. Uh, so, I, I mean, totally fair if, if people have doubts like that or have incredible certain opinions about it. I, I just have never found that to be really compelling in my faith. It's the it's the emotional side. So the goodness of God was a big one. And I would say then the second thing would be uh, doubt in the church as an institution, just seeing failure and scandal over and over again 
if you really believe that that's the hands and feet of Jesus and that's his representation on earth, it should upend your faith whenever, uh, whenever you see that it's just operating in such evil ways sometimes, and at least broken and flawed ways. And so uh, the, between those two things, just having a personal conflict around, I really need to work out if you're good or not, and you can be kind of trusted to direct my life towards things that prosper me and not harm me, to use the scripture. Uh, and then the idea that is the church really a safe place? Uh, between those two ideas, those are really the center of my doubts. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's funny. I, I mean, I personally resonate with, with both of those. The the second one about church being a toxic environment is raised hmm. on your album through the song Toxic. And, um, you know, I've often remarked before, I'm surprised that atheists don't wheel out church history more often than they do. Because for me, when I look at church history, I look at you know, Christians literally killing each other, you know, for, for hundreds of years at various points. And, um, and like you say, it can't help I think can't help but make you doubt and question the whole thing. We're supposed to be the bride of Christ, God's hands and feet on earth, and we're running around enslaving people, killing people. It, it's it's hard to reconcile that, isn't it? Yeah, incredibly difficult to reconcile. And I think uh, for me, I have just, I, I don't even try to reconcile it anymore. I, I just am letting it be one of those, uh, just one of those like little discords that you, that you have to, that you have to let that, uh, we, the reality is, we have we've been called good from the time of our creation. There's something so so good about uh, about people, and yet there's also a deep truth to the idea that we all are uh, we are all are fallen. Both of those ideas are are totally true, um, and the, the church just as disappointing as it is. It's not a refuge from those realities. It's a place for unpacking them, I guess. And on the on the first point you mentioned about wrestling with is is God good? I'd I'd love to hear your take on this. Sometimes I stand in church and we've all sung those songs, haven't we? About you know God, you're good, and you are good. You're good all the time. Goodness of God. Mm. All, all of these phrases about God being good. And I often stand in church and I wonder what what's going what's going through my own mind, but what's going through the congregation's mind when we sing God is good? You know, do we mean God is good because I've had a really nice week, uh, the sun's shining, it's it's my birthday tomorrow and I'm gonna get lots of nice presents. You, you know what I mean? Quite what do we mean? Do it or do we mean something else or should we mean something else? Um, what does it mean to say God is good when, as you just shared about your son, you know, family member being very sick, we can't say that God isn't good because that's not theologically correct. God has to be good. Um, but it, but it's a wrestle. What do we mean by God being good when, I don't know, to take an extreme example, you're being persecuted for your faith in, in another nation and your family members are quite literally being killed for following Jesus. God's still good. What what's the understand you know, have you come to a new understanding on what we mean by the goodness of God and what should be going through our minds when we sing God you are good? Because I think I kind of want to say we shouldn't just be thinking kind of selfish things about I have nice things in life and I have a comfortable life and that's how God manifests his goodness. It feels wrong, mm. but then I'm not sure what I should be thinking when I say God is good. Maybe I'm overthinking it, Chris. But any any wisdom to offer? I no, I don't think you're overthinking it at all. I think as a major theological tenet, it 
it deserves to be considered more than it is. It's almost like we read it and we move on because the words aren't long or complicated. Um, but as a thread of scripture, it, it's incredibly complicated given that people who are writing the scripture are nearly always writing in a difficult context. Uh, what they mean by it is is complex to begin with. You know, the, the whole Old Testament, which has, it, it's actually where you really find the the God is good and his love endures forever kind of language the most and most repeated, but they're, they're singing for, they're writing from a context of exile uh, in Babylon and their circumstances aren't, aren't at all reflective of what they certainly like historic understanding of God's goodness would be that he would just vanquish all their enemies and bring them back to their homeland. But that isn't where they're, isn't where they're singing and writing from and collecting these stories. So, from the very off, this idea of God's goodness is always set against the backdrop of us having difficult lives. And I think, I think there's maybe a clue to that. So my, again, I've come on this with the perfect, um, the perfect alibi every time, which is that I've already said that I don't know all the answers. Um, but I would say we get closer to the heart of why, why should a congregation sing you are good? 50 to 60 times in a uh in the con maybe in one song depending on the artist um <laughs> and, uh, well why should we do that and i don't think it's to i don't think the best way for us to do that is to have a look at our circumstances and pull it up and see if on a net basis god seems to be doing what he's supposed to be doing in our lives I don't think that's what it's for. I think the reason why we sing that is to reorient and actually change our idea of of what goodness is, uh, to try to be more like him. When we say that God is good in the middle of our dark circumstances, what we're saying is, help me God, my concept of good has been disoriented and I need it to go back to the way that you see good and help me understand how this can possibly be good because it hurts. I wonder if that's a result of the culture we live in, the kind of individualistic consumer culture where so much of what we're surrounded by is, you know, do what's good for you, what feels good for you, accumulate all the wealth you can, live comfortably is the kind of messages we get. And and like you say, that doesn't that doesn't tally with a more scriptural worldview. And, it, and I guess it means that God doesn't necessarily show his goodness towards me in terms of the things that the world values as good, he's operating on a completely different value system. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think the more that we've wandered from that value system, actually, the more we need to sing that God is good. And here, here is the the difficult one. Uh, I think the only way for us to really learn that is through the path of suffering. I don't think there's another. I just don't think there's another teacher of that. Obviously, the album deals with questions and and doubts, but it's interesting to me that a lot of this album is is very upbeat musically. Um, it's not a kind of Lamentations or Ecclesiastes the whole way through. There's there's actually some more, if I could say, typical sounding worship songs in the in the latter half. Uh, were you were you conscious of that, even in the track listing, of wanting to make an album that had kind of peaks and troughs and is emotionally mixed it, it's not all down in the dumps either lyrically or musically there's there's kind of light and shade and, and high and low points to it as you go through yeah i think I, I was very conscious 
from the off of this being like a very like a stereotypical or very tropey like doubt record uh there's a sound associated with that and i really wanted to i wanted to pay attention to that idea in the sense of that there's there's a reason why when we say you know this is a this is an album that deals with like doubt and big questions about your faith there's a reason why we usually come to the conclusion that you know maybe maybe it should involve some quieter more reflective moments there's a reason for that uh, but also there's a there's a good reason to bring intensity to those conversations as well and i i, I definitely wanted to do that and also it would be a mistake to say that like a, a doubt a, a doubt filled uh, journey of faith doesn't have it, its own um we're all a mixture of everything aren't we like it, in the middle of doubt there's like these peaks of faith that just like burst in like cracks through the window at times and to not sing about those would be dishonest too and i, I think that's what i i was really trying to do something like that uh, I, I wrote a song with ben hastings uh the uh, well he has an amazing record that, that's actually not dissimilar in, in theme to the one that I've written and uh, so we, we got together both from Northern Ireland originally as well and been in this kind of worship scene he's been with Hillsong United for a long time uh, uh, we got together to write this song called Still Believe in the Magic and I think that was a really important song for me to have on the on the album as a as a, a total acknowledgement of yes I've, I've been through a lot and no I haven't come out the other side like Flipped a switch. Now I'm doubling down on certainties and all of that. That isn't that isn't really where I've landed. I've just found a place in the mystery where I still believe in the magic. I find hope and I trust in Jesus. Couldn't explain it to somebody else, but I can sing about it and I can I can enjoy it. And I I, I think maybe that's I, I wanted to have those moments of the recognition that like the life of faith, of course, it's going to have rogue bumps and questions of course it is but it isn't going to be joyless there's an excitement to that too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories it's time for a more rounded perspective it's time to discover premier christianity balanced confident relevant faith-filled discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church discover the go-to source for christian news subscribe at premierchristianity.com now only five pounds for three months Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine, and you've joined us as we sit down with the lead singer of Ren Collective. That's Chris Llewellyn. Now, Chris is bringing out a brand new solo project called Honest, and we're discussing some of the themes, really, within this record. It's something a little bit different, especially if you are a fan of Ren Collective and worship music. You'll you'll be interested, I think, to hear this project because it is a little bit unusual. And as we go, you'll find out why that is the case as we pick up the second part of this interview with Chris Luenum. Before we do that, let's have a little bit of a sneak peek of one of the tracks on this record. It is called Gamble on Your Goodness.
That was Gamble on Your Goodness by Chris Llewellyn. It's on his latest album entitled Honest. Without any further ado, let's listen in to the rest of my interview with Chris Llewellyn. I noticed on another track, was it a saxophone solo I was hearing at one point? Oh, yeah. <laughs> taking, uh, taking big risks. Um, I, I think uh, one of the really enjoyable things about making a solo album after so long of being uh, inside indie folk was just the uh, having these options again. You know, uh, there is a lot of fun to and a lot of privilege that comes with being a band that has a really strong identity like Grand Collective and I really wouldn't trade it for the world but at the same time there are expectations and there are limits to what a band like Grand Collective can put out we've been making indie folk stroke worship stroke like indie rock music for you know for for 15 years so we, we can't really move outside of that to do something really aggressively on the pop side of things is it's too it's too far to go it, it doesn't fit our outfits um but uh for me then it was just nice to have like a, a really complete palette to work with and just i think that's one of the advantages of solo records in general you often see that with a with an artist who comes out of a band that their solo work can wind up being quite eclectic you know i think of the really good examples like maybe like a peter gabriel or a sting where you don't really know you know what sting and the police sound like they always kind of sound the same uh, but uh, Sting could be all over the map. You don't have a clue what's going to happen. Yeah, but uh, and picking up on that, um, there was um, Propaganda. The rapper does a does yeah. a little slot on this record. Just tell me a bit about working with him and why you wanted to collaborate there. Because again, that's not necessarily something people would expect from you to have a part of the song that's given over to rap. Yeah, not at all. Uh, people mostly uh, and even at the label thought I was joking when I said that I wanted. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, no, no, I, I think it can work. Uh, so I've known Propaganda for uh, about 10 years. And actually, he's just somebody that we've run into on the road a lot. And he has the most incisive, most incredible knowledge of, uh, well, history and church history that out of anybody I've ever talked to. And we can explain it in such really profound ways really quickly. Uh, and probably in ways that'll make you laugh and also think about it for the rest of um, for the rest of the week. Uh, it was really important to me to have his voice, particularly on that song. Um, I feel I feel like as a I feel like as a black artist working inside Christian music for a long time, which he was. I think he has a rare insight into the toxicity of of the church cultures that he's worked in i think he's had a lot of grace towards things that uh, i don't know if i would have had as much grace and i just wanted to i wanted to acknowledge that i think maybe my my white experience of the toxic side of the church only tells really quite a small part of the story um if you want to talk about church hurt uh, you want to talk to you want to talk to somebody who's not a white Caucasian. It's interesting, sort of deliberately wanting to bring in another voice that has a has a different perspective, I suppose, which is is what happens through collaborating. I wonder if people sometimes forget that when they listen to records and they think, "Oh, this is all this is all Chris." Uh, whereas when you scratch beneath the surface, even in a solo project, there's lots of other people involved, isn't there? That's right. Yeah, there's no such thing as a solo project. It really. 
<laughs> that, that I'm basically just a Mickey Mouse style ambassador for a, a very large team of people who work on this. I mean, uh, this solar project, one of the things that I wanted to be really firm about, and I, I love that this is how it happened, was I didn't want to work with anybody who was just the guy you're supposed to work with. Uh, the, a label setup. They're all friendships that I've had through the years, and it's all people that I'm genuinely connected with in my life. So the producer I used uh, is just my friend from the gym. He's called Will. I, I met him uh, during 2020. Um, he was the person who I processed lots of that kind of emotional stuff with. He was the one who heard all those stories. He was there whenever my son was diagnosed. I was at his wedding. Um, it, it's this stuff that really mattered to me. So he's he'd never produced a record in the Christian space before. And that didn't bother me as much as the idea bothered me of using somebody faithless. So across the entire record, it's like that. Um, and I, I love that because yes, this project can't be done by yourself. Uh, so you can either choose to surround yourself with, uh, your real friends, your real family, or you can let it be a faceless multitude. <laughs> um, and I went for the first option and I, I'm really glad. And 2020 was obviously such a significant year for the world with a global pandemic. But you know, just from the li- little bit you've shared already, it, it sounds sounds very life changing for you. Not just a pandemic, but as you say, the diagnosis for your son of autism. You mentioned depression as well. Just take me back to that time and how that unfolded, and and I guess how that affected your faith. Yeah, uh, so walking into 2020, I was already very burned out. Uh, Essentially, we've just been chasing so hard to kind of replicate for years, uh, trying to replicate the success that we'd had with uh, albums like Art of Celebration, uh, particularly Art of Celebration. And what that meant was every time we brought out something and it didn't perform like that, even though they performed well, uh, we just had this weird perspective. Uh, we we just kept chasing and doubling down. So every time we released something that didn't that didn't hit that high watermark, we it meant that we needed to very quickly turn around something else. And so we had doubled and tripled down by the time twenty twenty came, like six times. And I worked through incredible burnout, like to the point of like total emotional and spiritual numbness by the time we got the Choose to Worship album out, which was our 2020 release. And so going into 2020, already very, very frazzled and going into a world tour, which never happened. It's just a t-shirt now, the world tour. That's that's where that idea lives. (laughs) Well, actually, I wish it was only one t-shirt. It's like an entire storage unit full of t-shirts. Oh, no. But yeah, so that was how we kind of arrived into 2020. Tremendously burned out, very creatively tapped, and just fried. So honestly, when the when the world made us hit pause, uh, as much as there was tragic on so many levels, but on our little micro level, it, there was a sense of relief. And... I think what happened was it was almost like if you emergency braked on like a like a freight train, what would happen, which is you pump the brakes and then 
everything that you had been ignoring that was behind you just crash it into the back of you. Um, and I think that 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 was what 2020 felt like for me. Um, as soon as we as soon as we hit pause, I just realized, oh my goodness, you're you're in a very difficult emotional place. You, this numbness is not that's depression. Uh, you need to you need to do some you need to do some work on that and need to need to show some kindness to yourself. And so uh, there was all that going on, but uh, throwing in my son's diagnosis within the first couple of months that we were that we were off the road, it just wound up being a very just a, a year where all of the things that I had been clinging to um, and like maybe ignoring as well uh, uh, that just got abandoned and from a faith perspective Ben it was just trying to make sense of all of that like you know what I've known of God up to this point is the God who I sing about and sing mostly songs about joy to um, and you know I have a reputation for being a celebrating person and you know we just we carry that reputation and and yet inside is that really is that really authentic right now um and i think it's just unpacking that and realizing your identity isn't being kind of person who wears like a colorful bow tie and jumps up and down a lot uh but you're that's not who you are right now you're a person with a lot of complex emotions and feelings around god and yeah i, I would say 2020 was just uh, it was like it, it was like trying to put back together a room that had been ransacked by burglars. <laughs> that, that, that that's how it felt. And um, you know, all the faith pieces are scattered all over the place. And now is a good time to decide whether or not they they actually have a place going forward. Maybe they need to be thrown out, um, or maybe in in the declutter, maybe they need to be put back on the shelf, and maybe they. You know, maybe they get restored, maybe they don't. And that's what it felt like, just sitting in a messy room, trying to decide what to keep and what to get rid of. Was there something almost exhausting about being so joyful? I mean, like you say, like you say Rain Collective <laughs> is, is built around that. And and I was, you know, you struggle to argue um, against it in the sense that, hey, we all need more, some more joy in our lives. There's absolutely nothing wrong with singing songs that are celebratory about God. It's a good, very healthy thing to be doing. But I suppose when that is your life, day after day, night after night, those upbeat celebratory songs, you know, d does that in itself take a bit of an emotional toll when it is all so upbeat and joyful so constantly? I think so. Uh, yeah, I think the place of joy and celebration it's never been supposed to be like somebody's Monday to Friday to live at that like a band of dopamine. It, that's, it's not possible uh, without major crashes and major repercussions on the other end. So uh, yeah, I think about 90 minutes a year <laughs> might be like the correct dosage of like confetti cannons and pyro and pandas and all of that. I think that might be about right. And so, uh, yeah, I think bringing that all the time, it does have its challenges, especially in terms of it's easy to ride the wave of it when you're in the room with lots of new people uh, who 
you know, that th- they haven't they haven't been doing this as their day job for the last while, so that they're all hyped up. And then, so can you be? It's the crashes afterwards that get worse and worse. So, like on a physical level, you you do get a big dopamine hit from being on stage. It like it it, it does that, especially when people are really enjoying themselves and you get to be at the front of it. It it feels fantastic, and then the come down from that just gets worse and worse. And I, I, it's only, I mean, I think it, it, it's probably like what being addicted to drugs is like, I wouldn't know, but, um, I, I think at, at some point it, ter- it, it turns a corner from instead of those highs being highs, they're just like, that's what you need to level off. It's like, you only actually feel normal when you're standing in front of thousands of people and there's like beach balls being blasted in the air and all of that. And that can't possibly be your normal. <laughs> That, that's that, that's insane you know um so uh, then you come off tour and of course everything seems boring and flat and gray compared to that and the adjustments are really hard so uh, i think major contributors to depression are like uh, living a life that is so joy focused i need to talk a bit about physical health and connection to this because i know mm. you're you're very much into your crossfit and your training and I've spoken to other people who struggle with mental health, and they've often told me that that actually being physically active, I, I think especially perhaps for men, although correct if I'm wrong on that, I don't want to you know pigeonhole people unnecessarily. But but I've heard from a lot of men who have struggled with anxiety that being kind of physically active has been very helpful for their mental health. And and you've you've been uh, very honest and opening up and, and saying you you struggle with depression, but you're also someone who's very into your physical fitness. So has that been true for you that there's something helpful about about being active? How has that played a part? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, that was kind of uh, 2020 was a game where I realized that that was going to be something that I would be able to hold on to as a bit of an anchor. I mentioned earlier in this conversation, you know, growing up, it was all about rugby for me. So I think there's something in my wiring that just like really craves a lot of physical activity for me to be really healthy. Even being creative, I find it very, very difficult if if the idea is that I'm supposed to sit in a room uh, by myself uh, completely solitary and motionless uh, to be creative. I, I can't do that. I, I have to move during the day. Um, so during 2020, I was pretty conscious of that, and that that was when I got my you know my CrossFit coach certificate and became a you know became a nutrition coach. Did all that kind of stuff because I had the time, and uh, it, it's incredibly helpful. It, it obviously our our soul always uh, it, it always lives inside a body, so. Uh, however healthy that body is, it's going to have an impact on on spirit and mind as well. So uh, I think that these habits of trying to be physically active, I think it's massive. Even getting out for a walk, you know, forty five minutes a day, half an hour a day, it's going to. I mean, it's proven. It's just just scientifically going to going to lift your mood. And uh, I sometimes wish. I wish that was incorporated into spiritual practice more. Um, and, you know, your pastor was more likely to tell you, you know, you probably don't need another book, but you could you could use a walk. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I mentioned it because, uh, you know, obviously you write you write a column, a brilliant column for us at Premier Christianity Magazine every single month. And it's a pleasure to to edit and read that column every month. And you've you've written on what you just said, I think, I think was a column at some point in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think it's a really important point. I've heard other people point out 
that in church culture, we often have a really unhealthy attitude towards food. So typically, if there's a men's breakfast, it's a fry up or a men's night is typically a curry night. Um, you know, after church is typically biscuits or donuts. It's not fruit. You know, is there something even in our church culture that 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 can be? And even me saying that, there'll be some people thinking, "Oh, don't be such a killjoy, Sam." You know, um, but but there is a culture around around food often in in church circles that that aren't great. Um, and dare I say it, I'll be really controversial at this point. I am, I am I fall into this category myself, so I'm not being offensive. But even looking at the example of our spiritual leaders, how physically healthy are those leading us in our in our spiritual walk, or are they actually not modelling? basic levels of, of health and diet and exercise I, I, I don't know maybe am i might be am i being harsh maybe i'm being overly critical but it strikes me that in church culture we're not always great in this area i think i think your point not something i've never really thought about um you're right you're far more likely to you're far more likely to encounter like a group that's centered around baking in a church than you are to encounter a walking group or like zumba or whatever you know it, it is interesting, probably if we were really, if we were being really holistic about the way that we want to improve people's lives and basically be good news to people, I think, I think part of that's definitely got to include, you know, basic physical and uh, basic, basic physical movement instruction and also nutrition instruction and uh, practices that, that support that. I, I think there's no doubt that uh, those things bring good news to people's lives towards the end of the album as, as i mentioned there's some amazingly uh kind of worshipful moments in the in the midst of all this and uh, there's a there's a there's a wonderfully if i can call it this sort of defensive moment where i think you're trying to correct anyone who's got the wrong idea towards the end of the album where you say i'm not losing my faith uh, you say, I'm not leaving the church. And I love what you say after that. After you say, I'm not leaving the church, you say, not while she's in this condition. And you say, I'm just trying to find a way to keep on calling myself Christian. And it's quite a healthy, uh, quite a helpful distinction, isn't it? Between, look, I'm not saying I'm not a Christian anymore, but I can also be a Christian and sort of critique this church thing kind of from the inside. You're not a, you're not an outside critic attacking the church. You're someone deeply embedded in church and kind of Christian culture and making worship music. But you're able to kind of helpfully reflect on on the problems within a world in which you're a part, I suppose. Yeah, and I actually think I think that's the only place that really healthy critique comes from. I, I don't think you can ever yell from the outside of a group and, and really enact change. I think, you know, it's like a family. If something says something about your brother or your sister, uh, you're, you're going to get on the offensive if if someone else says it but in the context of your own family gatherings i bet you might have some words <laughs> words of encouragement uh, and affirmation for uh for all your family members and you might w want them to steer in different directions so I, I think it's the only place that the really healthy critique comes from is from a committed outsider uh, sorry a committed insider it makes a, a massive difference and i think that song was really a reaction to when I began kind of posting things about my faith journey, which I would say now I've realized that art is the best way to communicate about a faith journey. I think putting something up on Instagram has time and again 
provoked unhelpful conversations for me because it's just so it's so binary you put up a statement and then you can't even qualify the statement because social media doesn't really it's not a good forum for it so of course people react to it badly because well it's not well said it's short it, it's said too short so I, I think that's part of why this album exists it's that I, I realized quite quickly that I wasn't going to be able to express myself in a winsome or like truly thought-provoking way without using songs but all that to say as people reacted to the stuff that I put up online uh generally it, it was received when I would say something that was you know calling attention to scandal in the church or maybe hypocrisy in, in the church or just simply saying something like that you know doubt is a normal part of faith to say those things uh, was nearly always seen as apostasy like oh you're you're not a part of this anymore and it was always seen through those terms so that that song i'm not losing my faith it's just it, it's really it, it may as well just be me going through my dms and responding to two questions that that was how it was uh yeah i got a lot of people saying you know you seem really disillusioned and i, I think that was true but also it was funny to me that 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 expression was the one that they chose because well being disillusioned is being removed of a false idea it's it, it's uh it's a movement towards more clear thinking rather than less clear thinking. <laughs> i always find it funny that that was a criticism how much of that though yeah, just just to really go after a contentious subject because I know Chris, you know, you've called your album honest, so you've got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and you are, you always are. Um, but a really contentious subject would be how much though is is you know I'm a fan of Rain Collective. You're the lead singer of Rain Collective. You're a kind of, I mean, you've described yourself, I think, unfairly as a minor Christian celebrity. I, I dispute the word minor, <laughs> but even so, you know, you're you're somebody who writes these amazing songs. Lisa, I'm, I'm a fan of yours. Yeah, you and I share this faith. And when my, one of my quote unquote Christian heroes isn't quote unquote singing from the right hymn sheet about isn't everything great, how much of this is is kind of exposing the problem of Christian celebrity of of we kind of expect these people just because they write worship songs or stand on a stage we kind of expect them to have this superhuman level of faith, um, and when they don't mirror that back to us, it puts our own faith in question. You know, how much of that is playing into this? Yeah, I, I think that's a big deal, actually. I, I don't think... If I didn't have a platform, it wouldn't be relevant for me to say I experienced doubts and all of that. It would just... Everybody would go, oh, right, yeah, of course you do. Uh, but there is a different level of expectation. And I, I think, if anything, I, I would love to cut through some of that. that. A part of like the reason for me wanting to have the solo project is to just walk back a little bit from like Ren Collective has become almost like a like a brand it, it, like in a sense of like it, it's it's not as personal as I would like it to be uh, and it, it just can't be and that's fine it, it, but, it, but it isn't very personal and it, it, it's not necessarily able to be as human and as up close and real as I think I would like to walk towards that as a as a way of taking away from the idea of a, a festival headliner um, 
you know, standing on a stage telling everybody what they should do. I just don't think it's not it's not who I am. It, it's not who anybody is, and I, I I just want people to be able to see up close all of the the fragility of of all of this. I, I think that that's healthy. Um, you know, all of our leaders are like this. There, there's two choices really when you realize that you're on the path to Christian celebrity, and one of them is to just double and triple down on being the person that everybody wants you to be, uh, at least publicly, and just try to hide as much of your private life and your private insecurities as possible. Or the other way to go is to try to shed the status a little bit and just, you know, I, I always think it's really powerful that in response to Thomas's doubts, what Jesus does is he shows his scars and lets everybody kind of poke and prod at that. And that that's actually what's in the end faith encouraging. And I, I suppose that's how I want to behave even on the, even on the public level. Uh, I, I just want people to be able to see the scars and to be able to poke around in there and see what, uh, see what real faith looks like. Well, thank you so much for sharing, for letting me poke around a little bit and for writing an album, which I can genuinely say has uh, enormously blessed and challenged me as I've, as I've listened to. It's out right now. It's called Honest. It's by Chris Llewellyn, available in all the usual places. Uh, my advice is to listen to that album, uh, do it quickly. And while you're at it, why not take out a subscription to Premier Christianity where you can read Chris's thoughts on life, faith, and all sorts of other things. Everything from CrossFit to depression to the hard stuff of life and also the celebratory stuff of life as well. It's all available in his column uh, if you take out a subscription at premierchristianity.com. But do check out that album. Uh, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk just a little bit about some very, very deep subjects. Thank you again for being so honest as the album title says and for sharing with us oh thanks so much sam it's a wonderful interview so many thoughtful questions you've been listening to the profile in association with premier christianity magazine